Well, to uh, begin my message this morning, um, I want Gordy Bell to come up and um, actually be my introduction. So, Gordy, why don't you come up and say some words? As we uh, reach the <clears throat> fall season, excuse me, <clears throat> we think of many things that cross our mind. Kids going back to school, uh, vacations ending, uh, new church ministries beginning, many things. Uh, it was amazing because uh, about maybe four months ago, we saw 080808 on TV. And Ruthie said to me, I can't believe that. What does that mean? And then NBC said, the Olympics, Beijing. And I thought to myself, that's pretty amazing. And she said to me, yeah, it is amazing because that's our 50th wedding anniversary. And I said, to think that even put it on TV, this is incredible. So I could have started out by saying, what happened on 08, 08, 08? You said, the Olympics began. I said, oh, did they really? I thought you were going to tell us it was our 50th wedding anniversary. <coughs> anyway, as we think about uh, what we have sung, we think about God's faithfulness. And it is huge. Um, grace, mercy, compassion, loving kindnesses, it says in Lamentations. It talks about... Uh, God is the one that loved us first. We didn't love him first. And as I think about a lot of these things in 50 years, it's incredible. Uh, I saw Ruthie in sixth grade, which was kind of amazing. And then as we uh, met in college, um, I was in a, a class with her. And uh, at the end of our freshman year, I was 19, she was 18, and uh, at the time we found out that we were greatly in love and desired to be married and as soon as possible, and yet uh, parents had different ideas. And at the time, I can't say I thank God for parents, I did thank God for parents, but not when it came to that advice. Their advice was the best advice we could have had. So the, as, as I stand before you, I want to talk about seasons of our life. And uh, as we think about the fall season, the winter season, the spring season, and the summer season, you can choose the one you like the most, but you'll find out in your life that there is a winter season coming. And for us, the winter season has arrived. The winter season is when things start shutting down and you start making plans that you wouldn't have made that you put off and put off and put off. And uh, as we moved to Oregon, Illinois eight years ago, we had no idea uh, what was ahead. We lived in our old house 40 years. I had retired from teaching school after 35 years. Uh, we had gone through our spring, our winter, our fall, our summer seasons together, and we had thought not much about what the whole thing would mean. 
Uh, we spent uh, 28 years, I suppose, in the first church that we were in after we were married. And then we spent about 14 years in another church, and then we came here, and we've been here eight years. And uh, I can tell you, the time flies. Uh, people say, uh, how does it feel getting older? Uh, in some ways, it hurts because you can't do what you used to do. In some ways, you're wiser, so you make better decisions and not make foolish decisions. In some ways, you have to start planning your future as to, well, what does all this mean? And I am, uh, as my mother would always say, I was the baby of the family. I wish she could see the baby now because the baby is old. And uh, it was it was humorous for her at a time, but it, it I always wanted to be older. And my season was, let's hurry up and get to a little older so I can do some of the things independently. And then as you get into your middle age, you're so busy that pretty soon you're not thinking about things. And then pretty soon you get to the point where you're retiring and you start to think about things, but you don't want to think about things too much because it may mean those decisions you don't want to make. And so I have a sister that's in a retirement home, a brother who's still working at 79, teaching at a university. And so they're busy. They're busy people. So as I thought about uh, a testimony of God's faithfulness to Ruthie and myself, I, w I just want to talk about a few things where he has been faithful. I think about Lamentations 3, uh, 21 through 23, and it talks about God's faithfulness. It talks about the fact that uh, this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses doesn't say loving kindness. It says loving kindnesses. Indeed, never cease, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We have known that in our marriage. Uh, we have had celebrations who uh, the people have been kind to us beyond what we would believe. And all I can say is it's God alone that helped us in our marriage. God alone. We couldn't do it. If we had tried to do it, we would have failed badly. So we proclaim God alone, that he should be glorified in all of these things. Well, as I think about some of the seasons of our life, I think about Ruthie and myself meeting. I think about a long engagement. I think about having to get through school. I think about going into service. I think about my first job. I think about all of the ins and outs of those things. They're hard things. But God, in his grace, helped us through them. I think about uh, a praying mom. I think about a praying mother-in-law. Huge. I think about the encouragement they gave us as young married people and how they're no longer around to encourage us. And our job now is to encourage others. So as, as I go through these things, I think, God, you are a great God. As we sang these hymns together and, and uh, choruses together, all I could say is that's my testimony. That's it. I can't stand before you and say anything other than that's our testimony together. So anyway, as we, we have come to this part of our lives, uh, we have pretty much since 2000 not much thought about coming all the way over to, uh, to Rockford every week. But we're finding it harder. We're finding it that we may need to start to 
we do need to start to be in a local group of believers close to home. Uh, in January of this year, I said to the leadership that by September, I would like to be done so that we can move on to uh, a church closer by and be involved with people who uh, are close by as believers. We have some friends in Oregon now that we have known since our Wheaton days, and uh, we've appreciated their friendship and their encouragement. And uh, so we have uh, pretty much decided that we need to, through much prayer, through much agony, through much counsel from the leadership, decide that we need to uh, move on. And so in September, we will be attending a church over in Mount Morris, which is three miles from our house, a far difference from 35 coming this way. So we wanted to start out the time today talking about God's faithfulness, but also talking about his provision. As I think about Rock Valley Bible Church, I appreciate so much Steve inviting us before we even moved to Oregon. I had to take him to O'Hare because Vaughn was already in California. I picked him up at his sister's house in or picked up the car at his sister's house in uh, in Wheaton, and we drove him to O'Hare, and he said, oh, by the way, we're starting a church in, in uh, Rockford. And I said, oh, by the way, we're moving to Oregon. He said, oh, good, you can be part of the church. And I said, okay. So we started out July 2nd of uh, 2000. We drove from Wheaton, go to church there in the morning, drove out here at night, and started attending Valley Baptist Church over in the building on Perryville. So for six weeks, we did that before we moved. So it was a haul. It was a commute 80 miles or 75 miles out to Rockford Sunday night so we could be part of the group from the very beginning. So we we thought about that and said, well, uh, is there going to be a time when we can't do that anymore as far as going from Oregon to Rockford? And we said, no, later. We'll put it off till later, later, later. It's too hard. Let's do it later. Well, we pretty much determined that later is here. So this is a season of our life that we have to change. And it's a hard change. It's not easy. Um, a lot of kids, when they're young, being managed by their parents, say, oh, I wish I was older. And my mom said to me, don't wish your life away, which is really strong advice. So when I used to say, I can hardly wait till I get away from home, she said, you know what? When you get away from home, all your problems that you have go with you because you are the problem. <laughs> I said, thanks, Mom. I really appreciate that. I wish dearly I could sit down with my mom today and talk to her. can't. Many of you have the same situation where you'd love to sit down with people who pass on and say, I wish I could talk to them. Well... As a, a coach that I knew well, passed away a few years ago, his verse always at the end of every letter, and this is the verse I leave you with, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's what we're asking for God now. That's what we'd ask you to pray for us now, that as we've made a commitment to move on, that you would pray for us, we will pray for you. And uh, so let me close in prayer and thank God for the years. Father, as I come before you, 
as we sang these hymns and choruses together, all I could say is, thank you, Lord. Thank you for praying, moms. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that convicted us, showing us our need of a Savior. Thank you for protecting us from the evil one for years. Thank you for a marriage that honors you, not because we're smart, but because you held it together. Pray for Rock Valley Bible Church. I thank you that this church is a church that proclaims the whole counsel of God. I pray for Steve as he continues to do that, that you'd strengthen him. Pray that you raise up new leadership, Father, that they would uh, honor and glorify you in serving here at the church. We thank you for all you've done, and we trust in you for the future. We do these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, it uh, may come to surprise to many of you. Um, it doesn't come to surprise to me. It doesn't come to surprise to Lance and Gordy. Uh, we've all known for quite some time, even in uh, January, that matters are pulling Gordy away. He's got family. He's the pull of his age, um, distance from church. There's a, a lot of things there, and I can understand that. Um, let me tell you a little story. When, when Gordy initially agreed to be an elder at Rock Valley Bible Church, um, talking with uh, one of the elders at Kishwaukee Bible Church, in fact, I remember Frank Yonke, and uh, talking about a situation in church, and Frank turned to Gordy and said, well, Gordy, could you give him a year? And uh, Gordy's one year has turned into three years. And uh, I knew that whole time how we were on borrowed time. Um, with Gordy and just his, his help for us. And, and I say, I'm, I'm forever thankful. Can't read it. I just. I'm just thankful to the Lord for the years of ministry Gordy's given the church. way to make a sermon long. I'm not sure you understand it, but um, Gordy, I don't, I can't ever pay back. Um, I wrote a note to Gordy recently. In which I said this. I said, Gordy, uh, let me time 30 years from now. When you're long gone. Unless you live to be a hundred and something. And uh, at that time, you'll be worshiping the Lamb. A 
upon the throne. And I'll be 71 years old. And, uh, and I may find myself in a situation where there's a young pastor who needs help in the church. At that time, maybe I'll say, take him around my arms. Maybe he'll be shorter than me. Say, let me tell you a story, young man, about an old friend of mine, Cordy Bell, who came and helped me in time of need. Let me serve with you as a fellow elder at church. Help you through a difficult time. And I'll tell him about how much I've learned from you. And... um, by Lord's mercy, I'll step up and help him like you've helped me. And I'll say my only hope is that I'll be as big a blessing to you as you've been to me. Let me pray. God, I know the people here don't understand. I'm not sure I understand, God. And I thank you for Gordy. I thank you for 50 years of marriage. Thank you for his devotion to his wife. His devotion to the church. Um, Having served in the church, churches for many years. It is hard to pray. I've only read about people like Gordy. And yet he's modeled a a George Mueller-like heart to trust you with all things. Thank you for his, um, his demonstrated love for people, his care for the people here, his heart for the lost whether they'd be far away in Nepal or Russia or Indonesia or Kazakhstan or Germany or Israel, whether they'd be as near as next door with Bob and Marcy and his neighbors. I thank you for him. We pray you'd help us. It's a a church. We transitioned um, away from him. God, I pray you'd help me through the message today. <clears throat> so we have things to think about. Your word is clear about. 
I thank you that um, the sad news comes with some glad news too. And in that we can rejoice. I, I plead with you now that you would would help me in these moments to, uh, to compose myself and to, uh, to open your word that we might be encouraged and led and taught from it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, leaves us with uh, one elder. It's not good. God never designed uh, churches to be led by a single man. God has designed churches. They're shepherded by a plurality of godly qualified elders. And as I alluded to my prayers, bad and difficult as the news is of Gordy stepping down, I, I do have good news for you this morning. We have a solution to the situation. Um, I've wanted to share this with you for quite some time, but the solution wasn't finalized until this week. And uh, so now I can tell you um, and, and bring it forth what a terrible thing it would be if uh, you have news that Gordy was leaving without a solution. Uh, we do have one. The solution comes to Kishwaukee Bible Church, the church that planted us. They know full well the situation. Um, they know full well that Gordy is serving beyond the, his original self-imposed Time limit of just, you know, okay, I'll give it a year because I remember one year turned into two and now it's turned into three. Uh, in discussing the situation with the elders of Kishwaukee Bible Church, uh, they've offered to send one of their elders up here. Just a gift. They've offered to send Frank Yaki to come. Let me see it. They've offered to send Frank Yaki to come here on a part-time basis. So he will be an elder in DeKalb. He'll be an elder here, replace Gordy Bell, and bridge our leadership until we can have other elders from among you established up here. His assignment is temporary from the start. He's not moving up here. Um, he plans on spending half his time in Rockford, working for Rock Valley Bible Church, planning on being up here two days a week uh, with us, working with me, working with the leadership, working with future leaders. Half time is going to spend in DeKalb, um, which, is, which is helpful. Um, which is good for us because Frank Yonke is not an unknown commodity. I've known him for 20 years. You've known him for 35, 25. Uh, Frank discipled Gordy. He's a good man. He's been here in Rockford on several occasions, preached on Sunday mornings, held several family seminars. Some of you know him really well. Uh, some of you know of him a bit. He comes with a man of many years of experience, um, served on several elder boards of several churches, uh, I think for more than 20 years. It would be a great help to us. He was one of the founding elders at Grace Church of DuPage. He and another guy that planted Kishwaukee Bible Church, he then came out to Kishwaukee Bible Church after when we got to a point we needed some help. He came and helped us. And I feel like he's following me around. <laughs> we need help and he's coming to, uh, to help us. Uh, at the end of my message, I want to give you more detail what that means. But before I give you some of the detail, um, 
I want you to realize our situation of, of needing help from another church isn't foreign to the experience of the Bible. In fact, the history of the early church reveals it's often the case that, that one church is in need of help and help comes from another church to help them. And particularly, those come from other churches who are particularly gifted and able for the right situation. And that's my message this morning is entitled, Churches Help Churches. When you read about the church in the New Testament, you see two things. First is that the churches in the New Testament are independent churches. Um, there's no denominations in the New Testament. Uh, no hierarchical control. There aren't bishops in one place telling other churches what to take place, what should happen. Now, it's not to say denominations are bad because denominations help in many ways uh, combine some strength, but the early churches weren't early on. Um, but not only were they independent, they were also interdependent. None of the churches in the New Testament stood alone. You never get the, the fact that one church refuses to work with another church. You just didn't get that. You said they all were working together. They were interdependent, relying upon one another. They served one another, helped one another. And they did this not because they want to have exert some type of control upon other churches, rather because they loved churches and wanted the gospel to go forth and so put efforts into sending their best other places so as to help other churches. This is what Kishwagi Bible Churches is doing. Um, Frank Yankee is one of their best. And sending him up here for this time to help us. They feel a responsibility having started the church. They feel a sense of need. Um, feel a desire to help us in our, our time of need. And so this morning in my, in my message, uh, I want to explore the idea that I describe in the New Testament about how churches help churches. And it, you know, as you start reading Acts and you put that in your mind, you're going to see that's all over the place in the Bible. And encourage your hearts this morning And receiving the help Frank Yonke can give is thoroughly biblical. Thoroughly biblical. Let, let's begin by opening to Acts chapter 11. We're going to spend a, a good portion of the day in Acts, some in some of the epistles. Uh, the book of Acts describes the work of the Holy Spirit, taking the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the world. Through the martyrdom of Stephen, the gospel went out from Jerusalem to Samaria and beyond. Through the work of God, through a dream to Peter, in Acts 10 we read about how Peter brought the gospel to Caesarea where Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile, Believed and trusted in Christ. Embraced the gospel of many of his friends and family. And Acts 11 starts off with a discussion of the leaders about what took place in Caesarea. Because at this time in the history of the early church, a lot of it was, uh, you know, Christ has come for Israel. And He's come for us. And Peter went to Caesarea, a Gentile place. And Peter, why would you go there? And... And what's up with this? And so Peter had to come back and report what was going on. And the conclusion of that conversation comes in verse 18 when they heard about how the, <coughs> the gospel was received by these Gentiles. And uh, how as John baptized water, the Holy Spirit came and baptized them with the Holy Spirit. You know, and these miraculous things took place. And they said, it's a confirmation. These people have believed and trusted in Christ. They, the church in Jerusalem... They heard this, they quieted down, verse 18, and glorified God, saying, Well then, 
God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. See, God is the one who stirred past Jerusalem to open the hearts of Cornelius and his friends so that they would receive the Gospel. And really, verse 18 is a major churning point in the history of the church. God's salvation extends beyond Israel. Though Jesus had said this, though Jesus had alluded to it on many occasions, here was now where the first time that they began to see the Gospel goes, goes beyond just Israel and came to both Jews and Gentiles. Yes, to the Jews first, but also to the Gentiles. Absolutely. His sacrifice was sufficient for all who believe in Him for eternal salvation. The mission of the Messiah went beyond the Jews. And they start to get this worldwide focus of things. It includes the Gentiles as well. Are you thankful for that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we are thankful for that. I, I could have continued to read in, in Ephesians too about how Paul writing to these Ephesians, they were formerly the Gentiles in the flesh, the uncircumcision. The uncircumcision called by the circumcision, right? They, they these awful people. He said, remember that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world because the Gentiles had no promise that they could hold on to. Yes, there were hints of it in the Old Testament, but they were strangers. They were outside. They were exiled. But in Christ Jesus and the Gentiles have been included And that's what they're coming to here in chapter 11, verse 18. Existence of Rock Valley Bible Church is a testimony to Acts 11, 18. The gospel has been brought to Gentiles and we believe. Well, I want to pick up the story right here in verse 19. First point, Barnabas. We're going to trace Barnabas' activity through uh, Acts. And we're going to see how often he is sent by the church to help a church in need. Verse 19, And so, then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. So, Stephen, this is Acts 7, spreading out, but they're just speaking about the Messiah to the Jews. But, verse 20, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. You see the sovereign hand of God working in the history of the early church. We see the hand of the Lord, the sovereign hand of God, causing a revival, changing the hearts of people, taking dead sinners and making them alive. And many of them doing that. Antioch is beginning to grow with lots of new believers. Gentiles who are embracing the faith. They've heard the saving message of the Gospel They believed it and they trusted it and something's happening there in Antioch. Verse 22, The news about Antioch then reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So think about this. Here's this church in Jerusalem. Hearing was taking place in Antioch. Large number turning to the Lord. I'm sure those in Jerusalem were thrilled at what was taking place. And uh, so what they do, they sent off Barnabas and say what you say why did they send Barnabas? Well, we're not sure why. Scripture doesn't say it's it could be just to investigate what's happening up there or it could have been to and maybe you can teach them or maybe you can disciple them or maybe you can be our representative of some type or we don't know but Barnabas you go and you go check that out. And I think in many ways the assumption is that 
he went off to offer some kind of help, some kind of counsel. He didn't know what the situation was, but he went there. With so many people coming to the Lord, certainly there was need and opportunity for help. And Barnabas really was uniquely poised to help. He was a seasoned man. His story starts back in Acts chapter 4. Many people in the early church were selling their possessions and giving it to the apostles. And Barnabas was the guy, I'm not sure the very first one, but he sold a field and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Committed believer. He had seen Peter and John arrested and he was probably in the prayer meeting that shook the ground. He was a committed servant of the Lord who understood how the gospel got out to the Gentiles. He understood about church life. And so, according to verse 22, Barnabas was sent off to Antioch. And then we see in verse 23, sent off, by the way, by the church. The church sent him out. And then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So in other words, he came and he said, yes, it's a good thing what God, what the hand of the Lord has done here. Continue to remain true to the Lord. Encouraging them, teaching them. For it says in verse 24 about Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Here's Barnabas, sent by the church in Jerusalem, encouraging new believers, encouraging the faith. But as he was in Antioch for a bit, he he discovered that, you know, uh, that we need more help. I'm, I'm not sufficient. And so, as verse 25 says, he left them. But he didn't leave them because he didn't need help. He left them because they needed help. And he went to get help. He looked, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. who was later called Paul, of course. <clears throat> and we found him. He brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, a little geography lesson. We've got Jerusalem in, in Israel. Antioch's about 400 miles up the coast. And then to get to Tarsus, you got to go up a ways and then over in order to get to Tarsus. And so Barnabas is traveling all around looking for help. Um, Barnabas and Saul were familiar with each other. Um, Barnabas just didn't pull Saul out of the blue. I think Barnabas looked and saw the situation in Antioch and he said, you know, I'm trying, but I know the perfect guy. I know the perfect guy who can really come and be a help here. I know Ball, I know Saul. The, the story with Barnabas and Saul go back a long way. You remember the road to Damascus and Saul is, is on that road ready to persecute Christians there and a bright light shines, blinds him and the, the, the Lord speaks to him and basically sets him apart for his ministry. And he began, immediately Paul did, a, a dramatic conversion of being an enemy of the Gospel to a friend of the Gospel and was confounding the Jews, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were afraid, not believing he was a disciple. You just imagine, you know, it's like a, it's like a magnet that's repelling people. He's, he's coming to these Christians, and these Christians are scattering. He said, "No, no, I want to. I'm a believer now." And they're scattering. They're thinking he's going to infiltrate them, you know, like a KGB or something. And, and it was a problem. But there was one guy who really helped bridge Saul and his relationship with the church in Jerusalem, and his name was Barnabas. In Acts nine. Verse 27, we see that Barnabas took hold of Paul, brought him to the apostles and described to them how, they had seen, how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he talked to him, and how at Damascus he'd spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So at the recommendation of Barnabas, the apostles knew Barnabas trusted him well enough that then Paul was able to come into the inner circle of the apostles and move around freely among the new believers 
in um, Jerusalem. But now he's off to Tarsus. He's in Tarsus. I don't know how long. He talks in Galatians about being off 14 years, somehow being taught. But anyway, Barnabas coming up. This is decades later probably, coming up, finding Saul in Tarsus and saying, you've got to come to Antioch. Your giftedness can really be helped and used here. And so they, they brought him to Antioch. It says in verse, you know, said that verse 26. He found him. He brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met together with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples are first called Christians in Antioch. So Paul, Saul had come there. He was with them an entire year teaching many, many people about what it means to follow Christ. Teaching about the gospel. Teaching about Christ crucified. But then another problem arises. Verse 27. Now this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So we see here the church in Jerusalem in trouble. There's a famine in the land. People in Jerusalem need physical help. And so those in Antioch saw the need in Jerusalem gathered money together, a contribution as each one could, and they as a church sent money to Jerusalem to help with famine relief. And appropriately, this money was sent back with Barnabas and Saul. They were down in Jerusalem for some time, but we read at the end of Acts chapter 12, verse 25 there, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John who was also called Mark. So they had helped down there. First, Jerusalem sent help to Antioch, <clears throat> got Saul. Antioch went help to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the mission was accomplished and they came back. We see churches helping churches. It's the premise of a message this morning. It's really the New Testament pattern. Today at Rock Valley Bible Church, we're in a position of need. We were like Antioch was at one time. And we were like Jerusalem was at one time. We need another elder to come and replace Gordy Bell. Maybe like Antioch, there'll be a position of change. Maybe we'll go from a position of weakness to a position of strength where we'll then turn help Kishwaukee Bible Church somehow. Be on the giving end rather than on the receiving end. I know that's my heart is to be a resource center church. Right? A church where we operate from strength. We're poised and ready to help other churches. I mean, obviously, that's got to be our aim and our goal. But in the New Testament, we see churches helping churches in a variety of ways. We've seen here one spiritual help, sending Barnabas up to teach the disciples. We see physical help coming back to Jerusalem. Lots of different ways. And in fact, one of the things you're going to be amazed with as we go through here is all the different ways that churches help churches. Not just like one way. There's lots of different ways for churches to help churches. And we get to Acts 13, we see a different way. Not only churches help churches, churches plant churches, churches start churches. Acts 13, now there were at Antioch in the church that were there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who's called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Here we see the leaders of the church in Antioch praying and fasting together. I think that's what it means, ministering to the Lord, just serving Him, pouring out their hearts before Him, fasting, saying, God, what would you have us to do? And I believe the Holy Spirit spoke audibly to these people here. Set apart Barnabas and Saul. We're like, okay. And so Barnabas and Saul were the best. And so they took the best and they sent them out. Laid their hands on them. <clears throat> you see that in verse 3? Laid their hands on them. Just a sign of affirmation the church did. Sent them out, the Holy Spirit. And then took them out. This is called the first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 13 and 14, we see the birth of biblical missions. First missionary journey. Going to Pisidian Antioch. Preaching the gospel, many saved there, going up to Iconium and Lystra and Derby, And then after they'd gone this route, then they retreat, we went back the other way. Derby and Lystra and uh, Iconium and Pisidian Antioch and then back to Antioch in Syria, which is where they were from. And in the midst, though, of, of planting these churches and starting these churches, they also did other things. They kind of started these churches with some people. And then they came back. And then they're coming back. I want you to notice what it is that they did. Because they did other things to help these churches. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 14, it says, After they'd preached the gospel to that city in Derby, had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, this is city of Antioch. Then they're going to have to sail across the Mediterranean to get to Antioch and Syria. But look what they were doing. These guys sent out from the church were strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And they appointed elders when they had appointed elders for them in every church. Having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. We see in verse 26 that they returned, set sail to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And they arrived and gathered the church together. They began to report all things that God had done with them and how He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. It's what, what God does. He uses churches to send these people out to plant churches and to strengthen the, the disciples there and to encourage them and to appoint elders. That's what they did. They were helping other churches. And that says there, they spent a long time with the disciples, continuing the ministry in Antioch, continuing to build a strong church so that they could uh, do other things. Well, in the midst of that, some, some people came, chapter 15, came from, uh, came from Judea, chapter 15, verse 1. And they began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So some false teaching is going to come here into Jerusalem. We're going to see that also churches help churches with doctrinal disputes. It's another way for which churches help. Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. The breath, After they did that, it was the brethren who determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Now here we see in some sense the church in Antioch had a place of weakness again. There is a doctrine of dispute. They're trying to establish it. They're trying to establish it on their own. But because of the persuasiveness of these people in Judea, maybe because of the unique character of them coming from Judea and coming from Jerusalem down to Antioch, they were saying, hey, we got the authority. We can do this. And, 
And Antioch was said, we need help. And so they went to Jerusalem to get the help they need. They needed some apostolic authority on this issue about whether you need to be circumcised or not to be saved. Just let me say, the work of God can't take place very long for Satan to come and try to interrupt it. And here these people were coming zealous for the law and wanting the Gentiles then to be circumcised. And this is a doctrine that Paul opposed with all of his heart. You can read Galatians or Romans. I mean, he pounds it really hard. We are justified by faith alone. We are not justified by works of a law. I mean, you think about circumcision. Circumcision is, a, is something that God commanded through Abraham. And uh, people say, you know, if you really want to be spiritual, right? You really want to, you got to keep the law. But Paul opposed this tooth and nail. So strong, Paul said to the Galatians, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. In other words, if you think that your circumcision will commend you to God because now I'm obeying Him, you've missed the Gospel. Our obedience doesn't commend us to God. How easy is it to fall that way, right? How easy is it to think that our church attendance or our service at church or you know our, our Bible reading or our, our prayers commend us to God? They don't commend us to God in any way. It's the grace of God through Christ, through faith alone. It's not by works of the law. If you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And here was the here's the difficulty. The church at Antioch, though, because of the situation, couldn't handle it. Couldn't do it. They needed help. So they went up to Jerusalem. It's all about Acts 15. That's everything it's about. It's about a, a church council getting together. Okay, so this is a big issue. How do we deal with the law? And how do we deal with circumcision as it uh, presents itself? And uh, you can read that chapter there. It's not my scope here to really go through that chapter. But you see, finally, the elders, chapter 5, verse 22. The apostles, the elders, and the whole church wrote a letter explaining their conclusion regarding these matters. So Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch with his letter in hand, as verse 30 says. You got this letter. Now when they were sent away, that is Paul and Barnabas, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. In other words, now they have some apostolic authority. Now they have the official word. And uh, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Um, we have the Bible today in a similar fashion. Many of Paul's epistles weren't written yet, so they needed some apostolic confirmation. We have apostolic confirmation in the Scriptures all over the place. But they needed the help of Jerusalem to help them in that, that matter. And then Paul gets antsy again. After some days, however long that was, verse 35 says that Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. So they're back in Antioch again preaching and teaching. But after some days, they said, verse 36, let's return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Well, you see what's happening here? They're just going to go and say, how can we help them? If they're doing great, we can commend them, we can encourage them and go on, I'm sure. But if there were some difficulties there, I'm sure that they would help in whatever way they could. They want to return to help. Churches help churches. Paul, Barnabas wanted to help. Now, they did have a, a dispute, an argument here. Didn't know what to do with John Mark. He had deserted them earlier. And I think Paul said, no, he deserted us. He, he can't come with us. But 
Barnabas saying, I, th- I think he's okay. They were cousins. So they said, yeah, I, th- I think they're okay. And so actually it's interesting. They, this point we see the last of Barnabas. It says here that uh, verse 39, there occurred such a sharp disagreement. They separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So last we hear Barnabas. But Paul, I think probably more according to the will of the church, chose Silas and left because he was committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So Barnabas sailed away. Paul took the uh, the land route up to, to get there. But their heart was to help churches committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Well, since we've done with Barnabas, I guess my point about Barnabas is done. So, uh, let's pick a second point. Titus. Uh, Timothy. Timothy, rather. Not Titus. Timothy. Because he starts here in chapter 16, verse 1. And again, I hope you see it's churches helping churches. And, uh, you know, based on some time, I'm not going to spend as much time in Timothy as, as I'm prepared for, but that's okay. I want you to see that Paul is off on the second missionary journey. He came to Derby, Lystra, same place he was, visiting the churches, helping the churches. There was a disciple there named Timothy, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul saw this man and saw his potential, I believe. Those in the churches of Lystra and Iconium, which Paul himself had established, they spoke highly of this man, Timothy. Another portion of Scripture, we find out that he was a young man. I don't know what that means. Might mean 20. Might mean 16. Might mean 14, actually. But he was a man who had, a young man who had great potential. Paul saw and discerned that he had godly mother and godly grandmother, which helps a lot. He was a man of God. And over the years, Paul's discernment about Timothy proved true. Timothy developed in the man of proven worth, Paul said, who possessed a kindred spirit with Paul like nobody else. So Paul and Timothy were like this. Seeing him, meeting him for the first time. Seeing him, you know, encouraging. Maybe he'd seen him in the first missionary journey. Maybe Timothy believed that time, prospered in his faith. We don't know. But with a great deal of confidence, we can say that as Timothy came with Paul, it was with the recommendation of the church at Lystra and Iconium. And it's interesting, through their giving up of this young promising man, many, many other churches were helped. I mean, the ministry of Timothy is incredible. When you trace his ministry through Acts, you see him doing lots of different things. Paul's on his his mission to Berea, and he's kicked out of town. But Paul's kicked out of town, but... Silas and Timothy can stay behind. They are permitted to stay because Paul was the troublemaker, not them. So they taught and discipled until that was done and then they met up with Paul in in Corinth. And when they came to Paul in Corinth, they helped Paul be freed up. Acts chapter 18, verse 5, speak about how when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Here we see this man coming out. And how is he going to help these churches? He's going to help these churches by getting a secular job so as to support Paul so that he could be a a full-time pastor, missionary, evangelist. Um, Silas and Timothy did whatever they they could. Um, You you see even in Acts chapter 19, verse 22, that 
Timothy and Erastus were sent to Macedonia while Paul stayed in Asia for a while. And why are they going to Macedonia? They weren't going for vacation, alright? They were going with the aim that they're going to help other churches. And it happened often in the early church. People are moving around, helping according to the need. And, and Timothy, it, it is really interesting with him. Sometimes his, his trips took like days. Well, maybe not days. Trips all the time took a long time. But maybe with the churches only for days, sometimes with weeks and months, and maybe sometimes for years. We don't have time now, but we could read 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 8 to find out that, that Paul was, uh, I think he was in Corinth, and he was saying, how are those people in Thessalonica doing? Timothy, why don't you go? And Timothy went to Thessalonica and came back. Paul said, just now, Timothy's come back. He gives me a good report. You guys are continuing in the faith, and I'm writing 1 Thessalonians because of it. Just an information trip. How can you, how can you help that church see what they're doing? And then come back and, and tell us. To Corinth, Paul sent Timothy. Help him grow in Christ. He says, 1 Corinthians 4.17, This reason I sent to you, Timothy, who's my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, he'll remind you of the, my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And he, he's going to remind you. So you almost get a sense he got some kind of teaching ministry there, some kind of um, uh, uh, discipling ministry. And, and he gets it's not just a couple of days to see how they're doing. It's more for to just continue to ground them, continue to tell of Christ crucified. But then another time, he went to Ephesus where he pastored for years. So here was Timothy sent out to help churches as he helped Paul immensely. Well, point three, we're going to go real fast. Epaphroditus is mentioned twice in Scripture. But um, let me just tell you about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was in Philippi and uh, they sent a financial contribution to Paul who was in jail. So the church helped Paul in jail by giving a financial contribution, sending him there. He ministered for a while for Paul, and then Paul sent him back with words of encouragement of what it was that was taking place with Paul. He was a perfect one to go to Philippi. And so, in fact, even I think he brought the letter of Philippians to them. That was Epaphroditus. Let's go to Tychicus, number four. This guy's mentioned four times in Scripture. Every time he's mentioned, he's like a messenger bringing letters. He brought with him Colossians and Ephesians to the churches there. So he, he, he was running. He brought these things, these churches, letters from Paul to instruct them. According to 2 Timothy 4.12, Titus was to remain at Ephesus. He was far more than a letter carrier, though. He was able to communicate Paul's heart and serve in whatever way he could. Fifth point, Titus. And we'll slow down here a little bit. <clears throat> but I'm almost done. Titus, same thing. You see him traveling with Paul, <clears throat> helping these churches. During the Jerusalem Council, Titus joined Paul and Barnabas. At one point, Titus sent off to Corinth to see how things are there. He also spent time ministering in Dalmatia. But what's most prominent for us is the book of Titus. So why don't you turn there? This will be the last place you have to turn. Titus chapter 1. I want to read one verse for you to describe what's taking place with Titus. And by the way, while I do that, let me just kind of segue a little bit. It's interesting, in the early part of Acts, we see churches helping churches. But maybe you've caught the flavor a little bit now that it's Paul helping churches. I think it's because Paul was in prison and wasn't around a church at that time. But certainly if there was a church to help him, he would have done the same thing. Okay? It's not that he was a maverick. He was forced to be a maverick to 
to do this. So you're going to see a lot of what Paul is doing, but his heart is the heart of the church. He would love to have had a church, a prison church. How's that? Home church, prison church. You could have that. Send these people out. But <clears throat> anyway, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is the verse we are applying to Frank Yonke and his role up here in Rockford. Right? See, so what Frank, what's Frank Yonke going to do? He's going to do Titus chapter 1, verse 5. In fact, um, I'm thinking about starting to call him Titus. All right? That's what, that's what he's doing up here. And if you call him Titus, you remind him of his role as well. He says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Crete is a large island in the Mediterranean Sea, south of mainland Greece. 160 miles long, 35 miles wide at the, the widest point. We don't know how many churches there. Presumably several, maybe many. Paul had given Timothy, you got the island assignment, buddy. You need to go and uh, set in order what remains of the churches and appoint elders in every city. It's his twofold task of what it is that he needed to do. And I'm sure in every church it was probably a little bit different. Some things need to be set in order at this place and some different things need to be set in order here. But they all needed elders to be appointed and that's what Titus was planning on doing. That's exactly what Frank Yonke will be doing here in Rockford. His mission is to help set in order what remains at Rock Valley Bible Church. Um, and there's lots of things. But secondly, is to help in the process of appointing elders at Rock Valley Bible Church so that he can replace himself here and return to Kishwaukee Bible Church. That's his aim. It is interesting to see the sovereign hand of God in this work. In our annual meeting, 2007, we got copies of this on the back table. We've had copies of this. Um, we talked about <clears throat> kind of future things for 2008. We had four, four things here. <clears throat> so we think about future growth of Rock Valley Bible Church. First is more focus on missions. Want us to be a sending church. Want us to be a, a missions church. Welcome back, kids. I'm not quite done, but they'll do just fine. Second, more leadership. Okay, we need that. That was written with a sense of uh, Gordy's, Gordy's sensitivity time. We not set September as a date at that time, but we knew that the leadership aspect of things was coming. More staff. That's up because I feel swamped in many ways. My, my work here. Needing more help. More room. Um, just feeling as the, the church is getting bigger and bigger. At some point, we're going to need to consider that. It's interesting, as Frank Yonke comes up, he was not on our radar screen at all, by the way, when this was written up. Not, not at all. Um, but think about what he's going to provide. He is going to provide more leadership. He's going to step in and immediately be an elder among us. He will be more staff. He is coming up here half-time, and we're going to begin paying him half-time. So he'll be staff for us. Uh, he will help us. One of the orders to set in, that things are set in order are more focused on missions. That's one of his tasks that he is he is planning on doing. As staff, he will take on some official responsibilities. He'll meet with me. He'll meet with the leadership of the church. He'll focus his time upon uh, training guys so that he can appoint elders so that he can leave. Let's see, we're here. 
And uh, I'm encouraged by God's sovereignty in that. That we're making steps towards those things. I feel we need to make steps toward that. I'm also encouraged by God's sovereignty in leading us in 1 Peter. We're 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, some of you might have been thinking, why is he delaying getting to 1 Peter chapter 5? All right? Well, I'm delaying because some of this was spinning on my time of vacation, and um, we're going to get there either next week or the week after that. I'm still praying about that. But we're going to get there soon, which teaches and instructs exactly what we need to hear about elders and their purpose and their role and their function in church. And it'll be a good call then and now just to say, you know, we need more elders among you. We need more elders. We want Frank to be up here as short as possible. You know, we don't want this to be a 10-year thing. We want this to be a temporary thing to get back to Rock Valley Bible Church. Let me, let me just say there are lots of unknowns about this. Um, I don't know how everything's going to work out. I don't know the time frame it's going to work out. I haven't figured out how I'm going to adjust my schedule to work with him regularly. That will happen. I haven't fully worked through all the ways the finances will work out. I haven't fully figured out where exactly he's going to be involved in life of the church. I think he's going to come and just say what needs to be set in order. And you know, I'm sure he'll be visiting some flocks and he'll be visiting men's equippers and he'll come our time with dads and boys and he'll just kind of be around and figure out Sunday mornings. He'll just you know, kind of figure out and just say how can he help and what he can. But his, his aim is to really replace himself. I haven't figured out what sort of maybe office space he's going to need up here. He looks to be up here two things. But here's, there's two things that I do know. Though it's shrouded with uncertainty, there are two things we do know. First, his goal in coming is to return to DeKalb, setting in order what remains, and appointing elders. Second thing we know is that we're depending totally upon God to accomplish his work among us. Right? Totally upon God. So I want to pray now and commit everything to the Lord to help lead us and guide us. Lord, into your hands we commit these matters. And uh, I do thank you for Frank and all he's meant to me in my life. And uh, I thank you in advance for what he will mean to us at Rock Valley Bible Church. Um, I pray you'd help and bless and prosper his ministry up here. As he comes with a specific, focused, dedicated time. I pray that he would be a help and a blessing, that you would you would guide things so that when he returns to DeKalb, we can look back and reflect upon this day and rejoice in this day because of all that you have accomplished through him, through us, the church. So we need your help. And I thank you that there's a church ready and willing and poised to help us in these days. We trust these things into your hand. God, I think of the sovereign hand of the Lord which moved. Um, you granted repentance to the, the Gentiles. Your hand moved to cause many converts in Antioch. You spoke about how Saul and Barnabas ought to go and do the work in Pisidian Antioch. You appointed people to eternal life. They believed. You are working. And so we trust here today that you are working among us. We plead that you come and be obvious to us that we might rejoice in months to come. We trust these things to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.